Welcome to the Wisconsin Music Podcast. Hey everyone, Zach here from the Wisconsin Music Podcast. This week's episode 102, I am interviewing two musicians, one from American Restless, Noah Likas, and the other one from Silent Comedy, Joshua Zimmerman. American Restless is hard scrabbled, as the music channels the force of post-hardcore, the feral energy of riff-heavy garage rock, and the swagger of rockabilly, earning the trio subgenre monikers like Spaghetti Midwestern and Psychabilly, but the group would simply describe their sound as Rust Belt Rock and Roll. As for the silent comedy, facing the trouble head-on permeates their work. Rough-hewn, expansive American rock and roll with dirt under its nails and whiskey on its breath, the music of the silent comedy channels the iron spine of the blues, honky-tonk, sweat, punk swagger into a euphoric declaration that when trouble rears its worrisome head, it's time to crack knuckles, lock arms, and lift our voices high. They are part of a great night of music coming up on May 12th at Shank Hall, with the opener being local Milwaukee band Alley Eyes, who will be releasing their second single off of their album, Things That Go Bump in the Night, with the song Gone Hunting, Be Back Soon. You can check out their first release off this new album called Above the Neck on all streaming services. So come on down to Shank Hall on May 12th. I'll be there as well. Come say hi to everyone involved in the show. Have a great time. Let's get right into the conversation with Joshua and Noah. Welcome to the Wisconsin Music Podcast. This week we have Noah and Josh. Josh is part of Silent Comedy and Noah is part of American Restless. They are going to be playing a gig at Shank Hall on May 12th with Milwaukee band Alley Eyes. So welcome, gentlemen, to the Wisconsin Music Podcast. Hey, thanks, man. Yeah, it's good to be back. That's right. Noah has been a past guest as well, so check out his interview. I don't remember when that went out, but it was, I think, a few months ago. All right, so let's talk a little bit about this upcoming show with um, Alley Eyes, Silent Comedy, and American Restless. Who wants to start talking about um, how this whole collaboration uh, was put together? Uh, yeah, we... We've been talking with Noah about doing more shows with American Restless for a while, and the uh, Great Lakes region just seemed like a great place to start, pun intended. And um, yeah, we we love playing together. We've played and collaborated together in a lot of different forms, and now that American Restless has a new record coming out and is getting out on the road, it's just a natural uh, partnership for us to get together and, and play and it's a great vibe, you know, when you're going and traveling and doing touring, it's always good to travel with people that you know and you know that you enjoy. So we have a good time and, it, you know, every time we meet up for a show, we know that we're at least going to have a good hang with friends. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the biggest thing is that since we've all played together so long and so many times, like when we first met, when I first met the silent comedy guys, all of them, I was playing with other people. And then we met through a mutual friend. And then I started working with the silent comedy and um, we all became really fast friends, like probably faster than we would have guessed. Um, but it's been like a decade now. So anytime that we get a chance to do a different version of something, which, you know, like um, bring in another band or anything, it's great because we know, <laughs> we know there's no like, wild cards you know like you don't have um there's just no stress like the worst thing about going out for shows is when you're dealing with people who you just can't you just you know what i mean it's just yeah a, it's just anxious the whole time 
just waiting for them to <laughs> make a mess of something. So, <laughs> right. so it, it, it's all good people. And that's to me, I think is that's why it's so natural. And I think the sounds work too. It's great because we don't, the bands don't sound the same at all, really. Um, but there's so much overlap and kind of, um, you know, style, you know, stylistically everything works together. So it's real natural as Josh was saying. Yeah. Now, I was listening uh, to the new release from American Restless, um, Cadillac Head. Uh, do you want to add a little bit of more information on that song and um, so, the, the vibe of do that? Do you remember recording that? Do you remember recording that it, with me? It, I thought it, it sounded familiar. I was yeah, like, so, this sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah. So, like, it's 10 years ago or more, I had a real rough demo version of that song. And we recorded it at your studio in... Kenosha, Kenosha um, yeah. with, with my brother, Josh. And yeah. then we did, um, uh, Zach Stacy, uh, came and sang some backing vocals on it and we recorded it. And I still remember cause your dad had all these like Marshall cabinets at the time. Yeah, and, right. and, and, and so we plugged in like, like, like four cabinets and just cranked the guitar. <laughs> Do you remember right. doing this? Yeah. yeah. And it was so much fun. And, uh, but yeah, it was a real early demo version. So we finally got that song. Um, and really largely because of Jer, you know, uh, Jer from the silent comedy who produced the record. Yeah. Jer, Jer really stepped in and was like, had some really good, um, pr- production feedback to give us, um, Ian playing bass really helped rework how the songs, because the way I demoed it, there was no bass on it. So it really just came full circle, changed a few of the lyrics, um and now it's finally i feel like it was finally finished because we recorded just like a demo you know and it's right. funny some of these songs and i know that the silent comedy's got some of these songs too where it's like it just takes takes a decade or something to get it right and it's such an interesting process um especially in a culture where we love like uh you know prolific first take kind of mythologies like the amount of time that goes into some of these songs, people would never guess. But um, yeah, that's one of those ones that I've been kicking around since 
very cool. And then for Silent Comedy, you guys have an upcoming album coming up, correct? Yeah. So we're reissuing uh, our last full-length record, Enemies Multiply, on vinyl because we did a, a limited edition run initially on vinyl, and that's been out of print for a while. So we decided to reissue it. It's coming out April 14th. Um, and we're doing kind of a, a bit of a different release for this where it's going to be available in more brick and mortar stores um, and whatnot. So it's kind of nice to have a wider group of people have access to it. And it's a record that we made in a really difficult time in our lives. And so we also made a full length documentary film about that period and about um, kind of what happened with the band. We took a hiatus for a number of years and no one really ever knew why that was. And so we decided to make a film about it. And um, it premiered at a film festival in, in California a couple of months ago. And then we're re-editing it, retooling it, and it's going to be rolling out a bit more at the end of the summer in different festivals. So it's an interesting period of time where we're kind of looking back at our history and our story, and then we're also writing and recording new music. So it's a, it's a mix of the two right now.
Obviously, you know, recording with me in Kenosha, you're from, you know, Wisconsin. Josh, where are you originally from? Oh, goodness. Um, I <laughs> Get ready. <was> born, <laughs> I was born in Carson City, Nevada, but my family has lived all over. So it's it's kind of hard to say, but I mostly grew up in Southern California. Okay. Um, but in between there, we traveled the world and lived in Southeast Asia and um different stuff and so yeah we're, we're kind of from all over and my brother was born in alaska we we don't have like one defined home but mostly southern california for the most part okay so we have midwest and the and the west coast coming together for this great concert in milwaukee on may 12th at shank hall um let's change this up a little bit and kind of get your perspectives on some things that i like to ask questions uh, of my of my guests here and, you know, I know, Noah, you've kind of answered these already in your past interview, but maybe more Josh can, you know, add up into this. One thing I like to talk about is like the local scene attitude. And obviously we're talking about the music scene and we're looking at, you know, the positives and the struggles. And I just like to get, you know, different perspectives of how people see those things. So for you, Josh, what do you see positives in your local scene and what are some of the struggles that you see in your local scene? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, that's something that we have, as the silent comedy, we've really wrestled with over time. Uh, in some ways, like having a strong local identity in a town is a good incubator for bands to grow and develop. And in other ways, I think it's really limiting. Uh, one of my pet peeves is local radio shows. Um, I don't really care for that, uh, you know, because radio stations have the, the power to transition people out of being local, but they keep them sequestered into this one block of programming. Um, so it's something that we've 
kind of had a, a tough time with the, the silent comedy started in San Diego and grew in San Diego. And we had incredible support from people in that town. And we're, we're extremely grateful for that. And that helped us to evolve the show and, uh, you know, grow and feel things out as we started to go from stages to stages in that town um, and get bigger. But we started touring really quickly also. And the road show of the band, you know, also did a lot to, to make it grow. So it's interesting to think about that from our perspective is we're really grateful for the local scene that we had. And we had some amazing bands that were kind of peers of ours are a little bit further along than we were who um, we played with a lot, uh, Transfer and Dirty Sweet and different bands from San Diego, Little Hurricane, who we all were kind of like a class together at the same time. Um, and we're super grateful to have had that. But at the same time, I think for bands who are coming up in their local scene, it's really important to not, if, if you want to do it professionally, to not look at that as the only thing because the priorities of what it takes to be successful in your town are extremely different from what it takes to transition into the touring world. Um, and we learned that pretty quickly, mostly through my experience touring with bigger bands as a uh, videographer. And I got to see a different world like the arena rock world and realize like, oh, the way that local bands do things and prioritize things is completely opposite to what this world values, you know. Could you give a little bit more detail into that for the uh, listeners that are in the local bands? Yeah. Yeah. Like um, one thing is the concept of kind of playing as many shows as you can. Um, I think that's pretty common it, for local bands is just to stop that. Like the more you get on stage, the better it is. And that is true in the very beginning. But when we had grown to a certain point, we then had to limit our San Diego shows to like twice a year because the size of rooms had grown and you have to kind of consolidate that draw. Um, and that's one way in which the philosophy is very different um, is you get to a point at which playing less is more beneficial than playing more. Um, another thing is just the scale of it. You know, a lot of when you start out as a band, obviously a lot of the people who come to your shows are people you have personal relationships with, but you can't scale that nationally. You yeah. Know? Um, so yeah, it's just a, an interesting thing. And then also too, like there's a, there's a lot of local band tropes of like wanting to also play longer sets. That's a real personal uh, pet peeve of mine. I've always loved playing shorter sets, even when we're headlining because there's on the road, there's a really uh, valuable thing of kind of leaving people wanting more rather than reaching this point at which people have kind of heard enough of your, of your band. So those are just a, a couple of the things. Yeah. I think off of that too, there's like one of the things that I've learned over the years that um, is so indicative of that is just like the value proposition shifts, right? A lot of the things that make you heralded locally when you're starting off actually will cost you opportunities on bigger you know, um, bigger platforms. So like, um, like it would, like, it's not uncommon when you're younger and I'll just speak about myself. Right. So I don't have to like right. drag, drag anybody under the bus, but it's not uncommon when you're younger to play a show with a bigger band and then get off stage and say something or say something on stage, but get off stage and say something to your friends. Like, Oh, well we had more people than them. Oh, we, we uh, killed it. Right. Yeah, it's not really what happened that night. What happened was a national band came in to test a market to see w with no effort what would happen in the show. You were put on the show 
because your 50 friends would show up. That's you weren't put on the show because you're good or your music or anything. You're put on because that's that's what they needed to test the market. Yeah. And so you're like the big dogging attitude that'll make all your friends think you're cool <laughs> just costs you an opening spot on a national tour that's being planned three months later. You know right. what I mean? And so there's a lot of these things. It's like the value proposition, like what the value you think you're bringing to the situation. Like this is back to why American Restless and the silent comedy are such a good pair for shows. Cause I a hundred percent know what American Restless is doing on that bill. Like, there's no, like, I don't think I'm going to blow the silent comedy off the stage or like one up them. That's not even a part of the thought process. The, the thought process is about creating a night of value for a person buying the ticket and, yes. and creating an arc in entertainment and being there to hype up the crowd, play, do a great job, be as good as we can possibly be, get off the stage in four minutes and be out of the way so that the headlining band can do what they're there to do, which is has nothing to do with what you just did. Right. And if you do that well, and there's a great silent comedy story, Josh, if you want to share it about when you guys went to San Francisco to open, I think this is like one of the best, this is one of the most like lesson filled stories in the world, but I'll, I'll let you tell it, but you went to open a show and it was how you handled it. That got you all the opportunities. Uh, yeah, refresh my memory on that one. We have so many stories. <laughs> um, if you started, if you started off, I'll finish. Yeah, it. I can't remember who you went to open for, but you got a call in. You were in San Diego, and you got a call to open a show in San Francisco, and you drove up to just do that one-off for like no money. You just went and did the opportunity, but you got off the stage in like five minutes. You ended your set a minute early, got off the stage in literal five minutes, and got out of the way. And then that tour manager ended up adding you to the Bingham tour. I think. Is that oh, correct? Um, no, that, that uh, I know the one that you're talking about. We opened for this uh, British band, Razorlight, uh, and uh, it did get us more opportunities, but it, it wasn't their TM. But it is true that, yeah, it was, uh, we were being looked at by CAA uh, talent agency to handle us. And so they threw us on this show as kind of a test. And we conducted ourselves so well and kind of did it so professionally and knew our place. That's another big thing with the local versus the the national and international touring world is um like Noah was saying, the kind of big dog attitude doesn't get you very far uh in that world because it, it's really important when you're opening for bigger people to just like know your role, what you're there for and how to make the night go smoothly for everyone. And yeah, we getting off the stage quickly is a big thing that our band cares about. And it we essentially did so well at that show that uh CAA then took us on and handled us for a number of years. And, and that did lead to the Bingham tour. Um, so yeah, very similar uh, story with just a couple different connections to it, but it is true. Like, um, you know, that's a, Noah had some really great points about that thing. It's, it's stuff that's really common in the local scenes, especially, yeah, kind of uh, talking trash about other people. That's something that our band learn to curtail very quickly because one thing that's interesting and is similar about local markets versus the wider like touring world is even the big multinational touring world is a very small community and that's something that we weren't learned really quickly is like everyone is only two degrees away from each other and so the more that you talk trash about other artists it gets around very quickly and no one wants that you know 
And that's something that our band learned really well. Also, um, just in general, when we're out at shows, because you don't know who you're talking to might have a connection to the band. And that's something we learned. Uh, we also have a ton of tour stories, some of them, you know, on a sliding scale of appropriateness. And uh, we also learned to not <laughs> share those about our friends because, right. you know, someone you're talking to might be a super fan of that band. And then all of a sudden you've kind of shared some uh, deep personal stuff. So right. it, a lot of it's just that professionalism is, is the difference when you kind of jump up. And the thing that we always say too is, you know, all of us as musicians, you have all these preconceived notions about what certain things are going to be like or how you progress. And um, that's another thing that's really common when you're first starting out that you get um, removed from your mind as far as perceptions go is like there is no making it and there is no kind of uh, getting to this magical point at which you're successful. We always talk about it. They're all ladders, every stage of the industry. And as soon as you get off the top rung of one ladder, at the bottom rung of the next ladder. So that's something that, uh, you know, the perception in our local market in San Diego at the time uh, when we made Enemies Multiply, the reason why it's called that is the perception from people in that town about how our band was doing and how successful we were was, was drastically out of pace with what reality was. And they would see us opening huge shows and doing arena shows and not understand that we were at the absolute bottom rung of that ladder. Um, you know, so it's it's interesting. Yeah. Well, and I think that the money too, I think people have these weird ideas like, you know, like you can play a very big show as an opener for 150 bucks. Yeah. You know, like a very big show, like ones that some of the tickets are 150 bucks. You know, right, I mean? right, like, right. It's yeah. like the money that, you know, it's every time that I see something like in the news or like some like hot take about some like artist selling out or something, I always just want to. I always just wish they would just post the financials. I just yeah. wish that they, I, I just wish they would go on Twitter and just be like, actually, here's how this works. And then break it down and, and be like, do you really think I sold out for 67 cents? You know <laughs> what I mean? Like it's and because it's just, yeah, there are people making tons of money in music. That's not yeah. the point. But the point is like, it's a lot further away than you think it is. And a lot of your favorite musicians, there's a reason why they're offering guitar lessons on Zoom and different things because it's just, yeah, you're always you're always starting a, a new ladder, right? Yeah, and like making a living as an artist has always been difficult, you know, and this period of history is no exception. And it is true that you know the music industry has largely collapsed in the last thirty years. So, um, you know, the stories that a lot of us were raised on of the the heady days of rock and roll kind of controlling everything. It's just not that world anymore. No. Um, so it's interesting. There's, there are a lot of lessons to learn. And then at the same time, and something that we deal with in our, our documentary is at the same time, it's also some of the most amazing experiences you could ever have. And some of the highest highs that you could experience just as a, a person. And some of the most fulfilling things we've ever done in our lives were through the band and through our touring. And, um, so it's always that contrast, you know, right. but it's certainly, it's certainly not an easy life. And that's something that I would like to uh, tell people always when we have conversations about it in San Diego, when we had kind of transitioned into touring nationally and internationally, there are a lot of younger people who would ask kind of advice and whatnot, because in, from their perception, we had like made it. And um, 
that's one thing I would just always tell them is it's an extremely difficult lifestyle, no matter how successful you are, you know, and our friends who do the arena thing, it's still grueling and yeah. it, it has challenges. And when you, every new ladder that you jump to, it has all the same challenges as when you're doing local bar shows, but they all just get bigger. So both sides of the fence get bigger. The highs get bigger and then the lows get lower also. Um, yeah, so it's, a, it's an interesting life. And that's, that's why a lot of people uh, don't do it. You know, it's not, it's not for everyone. Right. I mean, it's, it's got to be one of those things where you wake up every day saying, this is the only thing I really want to do. I, you know, this is my, you know, it's not a hobby, you know, you can play music as a hobby, but if it, if you want to dedicate your life to it, it's gotta be something that there's nothing else that you want to do is pretty yeah. much it. Yeah. I think though, you also have to be really careful because there's this whole like Instagram music influencer productivity junkie culture, which is like, you got to get up and hustle every day. You got to make your music. Like it ain't that either. No, like you don't need to get up at 5 a.m. and practice scales like that's not the like the point is is that you got to treat it like it's any any other career like if you work at a like if you own a coffee shop right like let's say that that there's a coffee shop called the silent comedy and josh runs it who is he going to hire to work the counter is he going to hire somebody that he likes who does a pretty good job or is he going to hire the best barista in town who he can't stand talking to he's going to hire the guy he likes who does a pretty good job and that's all we're all doing <laughs> like it's not it's um i had a, a mentor like a musical mentor tell me once and it hurt my feelings at the time but he told me once he said you know you're not here because you're playing you're here because of who you are so just chill out and i like it hurt my feelings at the time i was like well but no like my i'm good at this right you know what i mean like don't you see you know but it took me a year or two after that to realize like, Oh yeah, it's not really that, you know, like that's not really the thing. It's like, you have to be a certain am amount of good. Right. But you'd be surprised how bad at music, a lot of your favorite, <laughs> like a lot of people in your favorite <laughs> yeah. bands, you'd be surprised how unproficient they are on their instruments. Like it it's, there's all these other things. There's the, there's the chemistry of the people together. Like um, again, back to why would we go do shows together? Because we would go play together. So yeah. Luckily, the people in my band could just be in the silent comedy. They like they all fit in the same. So like everyone could just be one big band and we would be okay. So right. that we're gonna go do shows. And so um it's just yeah, that point the, too, you know. That's the biggest thing that we always talk about with the kind of local um band difference between a lot of the people you see as as you start touring more and more is there's a really pervasive thing with musicians of a thought process that you, if you just become the best at what you do, then doors will kind of like magically open for you and, and people will recognize your talent and give you opportunities because of your talent. And um, that couldn't be further from the truth, you know? Um, yeah. By and large, like, especially in the, in the larger scale touring world, the opportunities that people get and how successful they are in the business has almost nothing to do with musical proficiency. Um, it largely has to do with personality. And then more and more in the, in the new world, it has to do with essentially just being a, a celebrity yourself and a, having a certain kind of ineffable, like uh, star power um, and draw that people are drawn to because now in the modern industry, it, 
people start out as social media influencers and they become a music brand. You know, it's uh, it usually doesn't happen the other way around. But yeah, for us, like touring wise, we had a friend's band who became friends with a, uh, another group that went on to have enormous success. And they did 17 world tours with them in arenas just because they those guys liked this other band. They felt comfortable with them. They felt comfortable having them around, you know, backstage. And um, that's the way that, that those things happen. And it's, you know, we used to get really frustrated when we were in that local zone, really wanting to break out and tour and how hard it was to get support slots with other bands. We kept being like, oh, this band will only ever take their friends out on the road. That's so frustrating. You know, we just want a chance. And then as soon as we have an opportunity, we just want to take our friends on the road right. too. Right, right. Because everyone will have more fun, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's, that's the thing. Uh, like, we're looking forward to these shows in May. We've been, uh, they've been in the works for a long time. And like, we've been looking forward to it for a long time because we want to hang out with our buddies. Yeah, 100%. What are your thoughts on streaming versus Bandcamp accounts? I mean, do you really see it as a viable thing with streaming? Because it just seems like you don't really make anything off of this stuff unless people are actually buying the actual files themselves. So what are your thoughts on that? You might have more thoughts on Bandcamp. No, we we actually haven't ever uh, tried the Bandcamp thing. Bandcamp is good because it functions like a Patreon or something. So like... And you can pay what you want. So like even when we announced the new record, we had couple, you know, we had some people, a couple people buy it for higher than the asking price. You know what I mean? So it was like people just wanted to see us, you know, okay, you know, we we just want to like sew into what you're doing. Bandcamp is good for that, you know, it's really okay. good for that. And it's good for a functional store in terms of like you can sell all your merch through it and they will even do fulfillment of vinyl and stuff if you hit certain sales numbers like they'll actually do vinyl for you um but you know it's bands need to understand though like it's not all this stuff you're not in the um not in the 1996 like punk make a couple t-shirts and sell them for cash world right you're you're in like paypal and uh, you need a bank account. You need an LLC for your bands. You, you need to keep track of stuff for taxes. Like as soon as you go into this stuff, like everything's documented and you are, you are in a business now right. and you need to handle it accordingly. So like, I think again, from the local to the national thing, like understanding that, like, you just got to be very clear what you're on these platforms for. If you think you're going on these platforms because you're going to get more attention on them. That's not really the case. Like people don't like, you are going to get some people who will find you on there from the tags and stuff. Of course, like, right. I'm not saying it's all hopeless, but what are you there for? Are you, are you there to try to do business and make sales? Are, are you there to try to get added to playlists? Cause like Spotify is better for that. Are you there to try to like, what are you there for? And then what is the realistic goal of like what you're trying to do? Are you trying to play? Cause if you want to make a living playing music, you can play two bar gigs a, a week, like house gigs, make 300 bucks a gig, move into an apartment that's super cheap and live off of ramen. And you can, now you're making a living playing music. Like, yeah. and I've done that. <laughs> 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 like, but I think the platforms are 
it's like with anything else, you just have to take a minute and really think about what you're hoping to get from them. As far as the financials go on like Spotify and stuff, Josh will have much more opinions on that because we're not in that realm yet where we're even registering um, much because the album's not out yet. So like we're not getting any of that for that right now. Um, But yeah, Yeah. I think Bandcamp's good if you have an audience who wants to buy your stuff. It's a good marketplace. Yeah, I think of it in similar ways to the way you think about shows and and stuff is Spotify is about casting a really wide net uh, to just potentially get people exposed to your music. And it's not really about the, um, about profiting from it because the, the residuals that you make from it are so tiny. And then also it's a black box, you know, they have deals with uh, all the major labels and they won't tell anyone what those deals are. And so uh, truly as an independent artist, you are, getting screwed by the, the streaming services. But at the same time, you kind of have to be on there. You know, for me, even as much as I have mixed feelings about different platforms like that, I I interact with music primarily through Spotify. So if I go search for someone that I heard about and they're not on there, that's a detriment from like a marketing perspective. But I think it's kind of like you have, you try to cast that wide net and get exposure on a streaming service like Spotify. And then if people are interested in you and they become fans, you transition them to a place like Bandcamp in which their support can be more direct to the artist. Gotcha. Yeah. You, but yeah, you really have to think of it as a marketing funnel. I mean, this yeah, is like, this yeah. is, this is where Josh and my day jobs will <laughs> probably bore people, but it's a funnel. So you have like in standard brand, like, um, uh, standard brand or marketing approach. People think about like CRM or consumer relations as a funnel. So you have the widest part of the funnel. And then once people are in your funnel, you're wanting to push them down the funnel as quickly as possible to get them to be what, you know, would become like a fan and then would become like an advocate for your band. The local to national thing has a lot to do with widening that funnel and becoming more efficient at pushing people down it. So if you have a local fan base of 50 people who will come see you play, that's great how many of those people can you push down the funnel to become actual fans and not just, you know, friends. And then how many people can you push to being advocates for your band? And then how many cities can you do that in? What's the secret to doing that? It has so much to do with relationships. And um, I mean, some bands are terrible, but for the most part, like the great bands and the really good bands and the okay bands, it's like, it's a game of inches. That's the difference. It's not, and a lot of it's experience. It's not even potential. It's like the silent comedy, part of why the band is so good, I think is because of the stage time it's had. You know what I mean? It's like the show I've, I've, I'm lucky. I'm the only person in the band who, who plays with the band, who's gotten to see the band. Yeah. Right. Like I've gotten to stand in the audience and see it. So I was like, I was like, wow, I really like this band. And then I got the opportunity to like, play with them. And I, I almost wish everybody had that experience because it teaches you so much about like, you know, like um, just what it is that that is resonant about what you're doing, you know? Right, um, right. Yeah, I, I wish I could stand in the room and watch our band. I've tried, you know, but I, <laughs> I still have my bass on. <laughs> I think, I think, some musicians are like that. They, you know, they like their band so much. They would like to sometimes just like, can I take a time machine or something and just go see myself play a, a certain gig or something like that? Just, you know, kind of get that kind of experience. I need a confessor. 
Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to this episode of Wisconsin Music Podcast. That's just part one of the conversation with Joshua and Noah. Next week, we will finish up the conversation with them, which leads into the gig that's coming up at Shank Hall on May 12th. You can get tickets at shankhall.com and click on tickets and look for the May 12th show with Opening Act Alley Eyes, American Restless, and The Silent Circus. Appreciate you all tuning in and listening to these great Artists that are part of the Wisconsin music scene. Here is Ali Eyes with Above the Neck. Have a great week, everybody.
What do they see? What do they know? 